Welcome to another episode of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network, where listeners can learn about leadership and other related attributes from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. Each episode will bring you a conversation on the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Courageous, driven and accountable, motivational, have integrity, have grit, great communicator, and have a high level of emotional intelligence. We will also talk with individuals that use their athletic and competitive experiences to lead in life, in business, community, or in their family. For more information on the podcast or Talent 409, please visit talent409.com. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all at Talent 409. And connect with me on Twitter, at Colin Talent 409. The Dynamic Leaders Facebook group is also a great way to interact. Type in Dynamic Leaders in your search bar and ask for an invitation to this exclusive group of leading professionals. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you have time, please take a minute and on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. Leaving a review really does help grow the show and helps other people find us, and we really appreciate each and every review. On today's episode, we have Rand Holdren, straight out of Southern California. Rand is a former high school and collegiate quarterback, played at SMU. Then he went to Hollywood. Seriously, he went to Hollywood and was an actor, is an actor. Before getting back into football and coaching, where he currently coaches at a high school out in California. We talk about all that. We talk about his coaching philosophies, what lessons he's learned throughout life, and how you can apply them to your life as well. It's an awesome conversation, such a unique perspective. I know you're going to enjoy this one, but first, let's sit back, relax, get comfortable, and let's jam with the White Stripes. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Super pumped about today's episode. We're going out west to Southern California. I have Rand Holdren on the phone with me. Rand, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You said West Coast. I was expecting sunny, and I got I got rain out here. So oh no, <laughs> uh, maybe you're bringing some of that out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it is the rainy season down here in the southeast, and it has been raining quite a bit. So uh, usually it doesn't rain this much. So I think it's actually been coming from the West Coast. We could talk about weather forever, but uh, forever. <laughs> yeah. So, but I want to give you an opportunity here to. Tell us, who are you? Well, uh, the, the quick pitch from Santa Barbara, California, and the third of three brothers. So, spent a lot of time in my youth refing my older brother's games. With that, helped my my sports career, I guess you could say. Uh, I played 
three sports in high school and went on to play at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. I was officially a walk-on. I don't think they thought I was big enough. And they said, you know, if, if you're good enough in spring ball, we'll offer you a scholarship. So me and the family got enough money together for me to go for one year. Once I got there, I think by week five, I was offered a scholarship based on you know playing quarterback and receiver for scout team. And it was actually a, a pretty big day in, in my life. And that was, uh, that was in the 90s. After I was done doing football, I moved out to L.A. I'd been in entertainment for close to 20 years now. About a dozen years ago, I started coaching football. Somebody asked me if I could volunteer to help the quarterbacks at a local high school here, and I thought that would be fun. And so went over to the practice, and the coach wanted to talk to me, and so I sat down in his office, and he gave me the whole pitch on, you know, why do you want to coach? <laughs> I thought I was just going to go volunteer and throw the ball around with the kids, and I kind of just jumped in and, you know, started at the bottom. I started helping out on freshman and JV and, you know, worked my way up to varsity and stayed at, uh, stayed there until eventually I was offensive coordinator, and now I'm a head coach somewhere else, and so, uh, you know, that leads me to today. I swear everything just sounds better when you can say you're from Southern California or you're living in Southern California. Like even when you said, Oh, I'm going to volunteer. And then you're like, well, you were acting and you're doing all this. Like what a, what a glamorous lifestyle in comparison to what most of us are used to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. And it sounds a little ridiculous, but I was actually, I was directing a project for NBC sports and subway. And one of the producers on the project, we were having, adult beverages one night and he said hey didn't you played you played college ball didn't you and I said, yeah I said, you know I'm, I coach over to high school we don't have a quarterbacks coach if you'd want to you know, come over and, and do that and I said sure I can I can come by next week next week is now I think we're 12 years later maybe me back in coaching but it, I found that was my passion you know it's the hustle and the grind of the entertainment you know, I would go out on the field, and I'm back on the turf, back on the grass, and I'd turn my phone off for two and a half hours, three hours, and it was the best thing ever. Having an escape from the grind of L.A. and, you know, the constant hustle was what was attractive to start with, and then it became helping kids, and then I was getting asked to do other things, and all of a sudden it just kept growing and growing, and I kind of believe it's my, it's my passion in life. Let's go back to before everything in LA and let's go back to like your athletic career. And when you were playing, you mentioned multiple sports and you got an opportunity to walk on. I think you did say that it was a great highlight as far as like your life goes once you got that scholarship at SMU. And I know you had a pretty decorated career, especially at the high school level, but you mentioned maybe not being big enough. I mean, did you have aspirations to play at the next level? Like what was that like when you were in high school and you were thinking about what's going to come after that. I'm from Santa Barbara and everybody says, Oh, Santa Barbara, you know, it's such a glamorous place. Oprah lives there. You know, it's (laughs) kind of like, it's like, it's like any place. Uh, Santa Barbara, you know, got big and blew up when the internet happened. You know, people, you know, it was listed as one of the top five places to live on the country. And then it got expensive. You know, my folks went to prom together at the high school that I was at. They lived in the house that 
my grandparents had. And so there is a, you know, they call them Santa Barbara Lokes. There's a local group there that has been there for a long time. And so I, I was a part of that kind of us, you know, just kind of blue collar kids. Our parent, my dad was a contractor and started a youth center. And, you know, my buddies, my dad was a, was a plumber and, you know, that's what we did. And, and so sports was something to do, but there was also no, oh, I want to, I want to go to USC or there's a lot of that that goes on. I think in the Midwest with Penn state or Ohio state or Florida state kids grow up wanting to play at these places. I think the first college football game I'd ever been to was the one that I was participating in. You know, it wasn't something that my folks like loaded up the car and we went to whatever stadium to go watch. You know, the Rams and the Raiders were in Los Angeles. That was about a two, two and a half hour drive. Again, I came from a big family, so there was no group field trips to stadiums. wasn't exactly in our cards. So for me, it was about getting a scholarship. Reflecting back, it was about getting a scholarship. It wasn't necessarily about going to play in college in some weird way, if that makes sense. So when I was being recruited, I was actually snowboarding after my senior year and my mom called me and said, Hey, SMU wants to fly you out for a visit. And the first question is where the heck is SMU? (laughs) Um, You know, it was like, go Dallas, Texas. So I flew to Dallas and got off the plane and looked around and it went for miles. There was no mountains. There's no water. It was overwhelming. And so when I met the coaches at the airport and at dinner that night, you know, through the course of the weekend, I think they thought I was going to be 6'4". I don't know. And I'm 6'2". And so that's kind of how it happened. They just, they called me after and said, hey, look, we're not going to offer you, but we want you to come. And then that's when they kind of put in the plan of, you stick with it and you're good enough, we'll give you a scholarship in the spring. And and basically I went home and I worked my tail off with, uh, oddly enough, Charles Johnson, who played for the Steelers, was in town training Another buddy of mine, Rob Blakeney, was trying to get in the league. He played in Hawaii. And so I just kind of jumped on their regiment and trained five days a week. And when I showed back up, I was 20 pounds heavier and they were impressed. And then, you know, it kind of worked that way. And then once I got my scholarship, it was, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't, I guess I didn't set goals for what was next. You got to set goals. I've learned and you got to set goals. And so once I got the scholarship, kind of the luster was out of it. You know, I had achieved what I had set out to do. I didn't set out to set the whack record in touchdown catches or, you know, tackles or runs. You know, there was no, there was nothing further than that. And I got caught up being a a young kid in a big city of Dallas. And, you know, if I could go back and do some things different, I probably would. But you can't. I didn't have a support system. I was in Dallas by myself. And uh, that's tough. That's hard to do. And I think. You know, a lot of lot of my passion for coaching right now comes from being the guy that that I wish I had. You know, that was helping me, helping a younger version of myself, and that's you know, in a mentor kind of fashion and understanding that there are some things that are going to go on that kids are going to participate in. You know, it's about keeping it in perspective and, and having accountability at all times, and, and so that's kind of where I where my passion project lies. I'm really trying to help my my younger self constantly but that's uh you know that 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 was my trek from santa barbara santa barbara all the way to dallas that's super interesting and i can actually 
really relate to it. If my business coach is listening to this episode, she's going to know that one of the reasons that I started my business is almost for the exact same reason of I felt like I wanted when I was going through athletics, when I was in high school and college, like a little bit more of an expertise direction. Like I had my parents, I had certain coaches giving me some guidance and everything, but I didn't have that like one person who just really knew it all. And I didn't really understand it all. So it was really difficult for me. And I, I don't want to call them mistakes, but I certainly feel the same way that it seems like you feel about your experience and maybe what could have been, there could have been a little bit more. It's actually also really interesting that you brought up the goal setting because you read about it. There's a lot of people that say one of the detriments of setting goals is once you reach the goal, then where does the motivation come from? Right. And that seems like it's happened to you in the past. And it's something that you're working on now as you're an adult and you've got more experience, but just overall knowing that yeah, I don't know. It, to me, it didn't seem like it. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. So tell me, but it didn't seem like sports was like the be all end all for you when you were growing up. Like there was, there was more to life. You kind of understood that, but sports was a vehicle for you to get that scholarship and to kind of move on from there. I think what you're saying is correct later. I think when I was young, it's all it was for me. It was all it was, was sports, 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 sports. My high school, my senior year, I transferred high schools because I was at a school that just ran the football. I knew I wasn't going to play quarterback in college doing that. I transferred high schools and, you know, I lost a lot of friends and nobody understood why I did it because back then you couldn't transfer for athletic reasons. And so I just said, uh, you know, I got to get my grades right. I got to get my grades right. And I transferred and nobody understood it. And then the first game I threw for 300 whatever, 70 yards and five touchdowns. And everyone's like, oh, I get what you're doing. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, and I used it as a gap year and ended up breaking 12 school records there. And then went on volleyball, I was league MVP in volleyball that year. My, you know, my family's a big volleyball family. Santa Barbara's a big volleyball community. It was part of the problem of what, you, of what you're talking about in that once football ended, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have anybody to like, oh, I just go to work. <laughs> like, oh, I just have to be there from eight to five, you know, and you're kind of just, okay. My entire life, I had to be at practice on time. I had to be at workouts. I had to be at study hall. I had to be at weights. I had to be at films. I had to be at the dining hall. I, and you're being told where to go all the time. And it is a little militaristic, you know, sports is. sure, And, there's a lot of structure. And once I finished sports, I realized, oh, there's no structure in life. I just, I got a job. I worked at a home loan place and I'm working in the call center. And, you know, when people call in with their questions on their home loans, I had the highest amount in three months, I had the highest amount of good guy calls, they call them. And these are the, when you call in somewhere, and you deal with your issue, and then you say, hey, can I speak to the, your manager to tell them what a great job you did? That doesn't happen often, and I had a lot of those. A lot of people would pass on to my manager that I was great, and I remember going in and asking for a raise. Very millennial of me, right, after like <laughs> three months, because I remember the guy next to me 
didn't do anything, but he ha- he got paid more than me because he had a bigger degree. And I said to the to my manager, I said, "Hey, I, you know, when can we talk about a raise? I got you know, I got more than this. This guy isn't doing anything. I'm, I'm doubling him and things." And they said, "Oh, after a year, then we'll talk about your raise." And I thought to myself, a year, like sitting here a year doing this from eight to five, answering phone calls. I just I couldn't grasp that concept. And so I struggled. I struggled. I struggled without having to be places at all the time. I had one place to be, and that was 8 a.m. at work. And I made it, you know, some days with less sleep than other days. But, you know, I, it took it took me two, three years to to really kind of figure out I've got to pull this together. I have got to find new goals, new aspirations, because I was lost after sports because we did do so many sports growing up you know i was a three-sport athlete all the way through and then once i got into entertainment and started to find other things i you know that's when i really went oh there's so much more to, to sports and i tried you know i tried i try everything and now with my son i you know he just started piano he's eight you know i never played piano when i was a kid i was out shooting free throws or tackling people i was playing i was playing full tackle football at eight so there is more to life and you know, I found that out in my 20s. Uh, but now that I've found that out, I, I'm really fired up about it. Before we move on to your Hollywood career, do you think it's as simple as, for example, you mentioned your son and how he's doing piano now. Do you think it's as simple as encouraging kids, if we have kids, to explore other hobbies, other interests even if they might be sports fanatics like I was, like it seems like you you were as well. Do you think it's better for parents, for example, to encourage them to try different things, just knowing that somewhere down the line they're probably going to have to figure something out that's going to be outside the realm of sports? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that – I think you can't judge. I think you can't judge. You know, a lot of reasons I was all sports. Yes, it is fun. But that's what everybody around me was doing. And I, I, I remember, you know, I was skateboarding one time in my front yard. I'll never forget this. I don't I even know. I told my brother this. But, you know, he was on his way to volleyball practice and he walks out and he goes, You're skateboarding again? Just the way he said it. He just kind of went, oh, Yeah. I mean, I don't know. And in my brain, I'm going, ah, I'm not, I guess I shouldn't be skateboarding. I don't know. Nobody was doing it in my house. And so. You know, as a parent, if my son wants to try something, I can't judge it. Let me take that back. I can judge it, but I can't let him see that I'm judging it. Sure. You know, if he wants to go do something, piano, like, uh, yeah, sure. I wish I could play the piano. You know, if I really think about it, like, I wish I could play the piano. Mm -hmm. You know, he wants to do it, and he's got a keyboard, and I went to the Guitar Center place over here, got him a keyboard, and shopping for those things was interesting but you know letting him try try different things i'd wish that i had tried more things in the arts which is probably what you're gonna talk about next all newman started acting when he was 21 or something crazy like that you know i I just wish i would have done more arts when i was a kid but that's not what we were doing but if i did that would i have had a scholarship in football probably not you know so you can't really go back and i can't may say and say oh i wish my parents would have done this but you know what i mean it's like my parents did the best that they could do and they did a great job they 
sometimes I feel that way, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a similar, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a similar conversation to you know, specialization in sports and just limiting your opportunities because, you know, as your son's going to find out and even, may, you know, you're probably learning now different things about the music industry that you never knew throughout the course of your life and just learning from different perspectives and things like that. But it's, like you said, it's a, it's a hard line to figure out, you know, where that balance is and you do the best you can as parents and everything works out the way it does for a reason. But uh, I can certainly see where, you know, just encouraging people to do different things. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. If you do, you may unlock something. But I think that does take us to the next phase in your life, which is Hollywood. Please give us a detailed rundown on how that happened. How that happened was I was lost and I got back to Santa Barbara after Dallas and I took some classes at the city college there, Santa Barbara city college. I took an acting class to get some credits. I didn't finish at SMU. My body was done mentally. I was done. And so I got back to Santa Barbara. My parent, my dad said, you can live in our house. You're going to, you're going to be finishing school or paying rent. So I said, I will finish school. I enrolled and I took a business class and I took an acting class. And the business class, 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. And the business class I was out of in maybe a month. I dropped it. And the acting class was the first class in my probably entire life where I made every class there was. The first time I got up on stage to do a monologue, which I the monologue was probably god-awful. I don't remember that, but I do remember the feeling I got. And the feeling I got was like running out onto the field at the beginning of a game. The rush of adrenaline was what I liked about it. And then after that, I did the class. And about halfway through, I started kind of fishing around and trying to find an agent in Santa Barbara. And then I, my brother had a buddy who was in L.A. who had done a commercial which is kind of funny. He had done one commercial. That's all he ever did was one commercial. And uh, I, I hunted him down. I remember he was cool. He was kind of big leaguing me, but he was kind of trying to, I couldn't tell. And I just kind of said, you know, Hey, what kind of classes do I take? And he said, you should take some acting classes down here. Here's a, here's a list. So I decided that, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot because I really like the feeling. I really am an, an artsy person that comes from my mom and, and her mom. And I always appreciated the arts. And so I drove down from Santa Barbara about two hours and I took this class and it was the class was three days a week. So I made that commute three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. And it was a two year program. Once I got in that class and saw what it was and the people in L.A., I kind of formed a plan and said, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to take this class. I'm going to commute for one year. I'm going to live in Santa Barbara. I'm going to save my money. And I'm going to commute. And I'm going to do everything I need to do. Because I didn't want to just show up in L.A. with nothing. There's a lot of people that show up here with nothing. And it's a waste of time. If you can hold off as long as possible and then get going. That's what you want to do. And so after a year, I moved down. You know, I did the whole rigmarole. I submitted to 10 agents. 
I got one meeting. I went in a terrible meeting, absolutely terrible meeting. I was awful, <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole, the whole thing. And then I got a, some guy approached me about being my manager and, and then I ended up booking a commercial within, I don't know, probably four to six months of being down here. And I'm still down here standing 19 years later. I've shot over 80. You know, it, it was a grind, but I, I decided. And I think, you know, going back to setting goals and doing things, I wanted to, I, want, I had something again. I had something again. I had a goal. I had a reason. I had somewhere I had to be. And I had to be held accountable. You know, the difference is in the entertainment business, you don't have the team aspect. That's another topic for later, but you know, you're really by yourself and you're running a, it's, it's individual people. It's more like playing golf or tennis versus playing football or basketball, which is a whole different struggle. But, you know, that's how I ended up down here. So I think I got down here in 2001. So we're 2019. So about 18 years. That's amazing. Reminds me of the HBO show, Barry. I don't know if you've ever seen that show before. He's a paid killer that stumbles upon an acting class because the guy that he's being paid to kill is in the class and he gets called up. I think the guy who's running the show is the Fonz from that show uh, from the seventies. The and Henry Winkler. Yes. Yes. Henry. I couldn't remember his name. And he brings him up to do the monologue and it just clicks. Like it seems like in the same way that it did for you, like the first time you did it. And he's like, Oh my God, I love acting. And he's a paid killer. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're not a paid it's killer, that, obviously. That rut. It's that rut. Well, you don't know that. Call. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it, it, it's that rush that you get before, you know, you're, you're about to perform. And that's the same as sports. Sure. Everyone's a mess at the, the first play of the game and everybody gets one play and, and then you're you're off and running. And in football, you're in the stadium and you can't see the faces of people. They're just people. You know, everyone goes, "Oh, you're in front of so many people." Uh, it's like, yeah, but they're just they're there. There's not really. And that's a weird concept too. When you're doing a, a commercial or a TV show or whatever, you're doing it for this camera. Meanwhile, there's millions and millions of people watching it. It's just a weird concept. Yeah, I can't even imagine doing it myself. I, I would be beyond terrified and i loved that rush so like i don't know if i would get that watershed moment where when i did it i'd be like oh my god this feels just like it did when i was in athletic competition but i i just can't even imagine myself being up there so more power to you and you mentioned about accountability and that being one of those things that you learned through athletics that you took with you to the entertainment scene what were some of the other maybe similarities or other things that you had learned through your athletic competitions that I don't want to say it made it easier, but maybe helped you bridge that gap. So when you were coming out of college and you were trying to establish yourself in your career, you were able to take those lessons and apply them. Well, I, you know, accountability is such a big word it covers, you know, being on time. What, what does accountability mean? Right. You gotta, you gotta be on time. You gotta do your, work if you say you're going to do something you got to do it you got to make sure that you don't really get a whole lot of credit for practice you know nobody ever goes oh wow they must practice forever right you don't watch michael jordan ah he must sit out there forever and do that jump shot you know and they say that about golfers too i say they sorry for that but tiger woods says you have to be willing to spend 
hours upon hours on the driving range by yourself. If you can't do that, you're not going to be a good golfer. And that's where the passion comes into play and why people that have passion, I feel, make it in certain things. And so taking pride in your work. And that was one of my biggest issues, I think, with entertainment was there was no cheer at the end of the play. It was kind of always just a constant, great, get back going, great, get back going, great, get back going. Whereas in sports, you play a game, there's the the win or loss at the end, and then you start over. Entertainment, there isn't that. Nobody, in, in essence, nobody cares. I learned that early, you know, that when I would, I got a little co-star part, my first speaking role on the OC, a show back in the day. You know, I wanted to tell everybody about it. And then, you know, as it kept going, and then one of my last ones, a couple years back, Law and Order LA, I didn't tell anybody because you realize it's, you know, it's, it's sad to say, but nobody does care. Everybody's worried. Everybody's worried about what they're doing. And at the end of the day, you kind of got to just got to keep going and set your own marks of what you want to achieve. And you got to work hard. If you don't want to work hard, it's not going to work. A lot of people that I talk to that, and probably all of them, that are high up in their business just or have a lot of resources say you got to work hard and that's it the people that that have all the juice the people that you know you got to work harder ryan seacrest he just he works his he works his butt off tom cruise works his butt off aaron Rodgers, tom brady you know anybody anybody who's good at tiger woods anybody who's good at what they do they just work harder you know yeah there's some skill set involved of course in genetics and can factor that in but you know i think the answer is work harder and i think that's kind of what i realized when i achieved my goal at smu i was working the hardest i'd ever worked before and you know in entertainment the times where i'm not doing good i i know that if i take inventory on myself i'm not working as hard as i possibly could you know i'm learning that again as a coach as a head coach now i need to work harder that's just it i just need to work harder and there's something to be said about guys that are getting up at 6 a.m. and sweating and working out and throwing weights around. You know, it is a little barbaric, but again, that's things you're into. But at the end of the day, if you work harder, you know, I have some buddies in the music industry. They, they are constantly playing music, constantly, constantly. But there's a reason they're successful. So, you know, accountability, I think, covers a lot of things. But, you know, in terms of logistics, you got to be on time. You got to do what you say you're going to do. But at the end of the day, if you're not working as hard as, you're, as you can, it's just not going, to, it's not going to work. Are you an all or nothing person? Do you find you're either on or off the health and fitness wagon? Sweat with Stods has a program that helps you turn habits and fitness into a lifestyle. Healthy Habits is a program designed to help you make lasting, incremental changes in your life that culminate into six new healthy habits. No working out required. With a few intentional minutes every day, you can have a huge impact on your health and life. This program focuses on water intake, steps per day, veggie intake, meditation, gratitude, and stretching. Six habits that will help you look and feel your best. And my listeners get a discount. 
head to sweatwithstods.com and enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout for $10 off this program. I've done this program, and one of the best things that came from it for me was to incorporate stretching and meditation into my daily routine. It does work. It's not an overnight process, but it's easy, it's incremental, and you should really give it a try. And now back to the pod. I'd love to get your perspective on this. A lot of people that listen to this podcast, and just a lot of people in general, aren't fortunate enough to be doing work that they're passionate about. When you say, you know, just work harder, I think it's really easy to do that if it's something that you're passionate about. Like if, you know, for example, with your coaching or your entertainment career, for me, it's my business and pouring, you know, my time and energy into that. And I know if I work harder, I'm going to get the results. But a lot of us are in situations where we're in a job, for example, that we're not super passionate about and we don't really care you know, what, what the results are either way because it's not our company and maybe what we do doesn't really matter that much. At least that's how we perceive it. It may be more important than that, but I think that's how a lot of people perceive the work that they do. How do we get them to, quote unquote, work harder if they don't have any passion behind what they do? Because, I mean, I guess the easy answer would be, well, find a different job, right? But some of us don't have that luxury. Like if we have a family to provide for and we have a stable job and we don't want to get away from it. You know, some people just aren't risk takers like that. And that's perfectly okay. But I'm just curious if you have any advice for people who may be in a job that they're not in love with, but they'd like to contribute more. They'd like to have those feelings, that rush that you get when you're on stage and you're acting or you hear the crowd when you're coaching. They'd like that feeling, even if it was just an internal feeling. How do we get there? Oh, gosh. I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer this question. I'll, I'll certainly take a crack. <laughs> uh, you know, I was doing a job I didn't like when I was younger and I stopped doing it. I went and I tried something else. Working harder and being able to put all you can do into it. If you set your goals, right? We go back to the goal setting. If you're just going to work, and I think that's where I found a problem. And I, that's where I got into trouble. You know, I, I was working at the mortgage company and I was working eight to five. And at five o'clock, I would go with everybody from work to happy hour and, you know, sometimes happy hour would turn into nighttime, but I was choosing to go to happy hour. I was choosing to go spend my money. I was choosing to go, you know, I wasn't sitting there drinking iced tea. I was choosing to do these things. And if there was something that I was passionate about at that time, which I didn't have a passion because I didn't know what to do with my life. Later, I learned like coaching football, being back with football, something that that is something that, that I care about deeply. You know, when I was in the entertainment business, from from six to eight, I shut my phone off. I went to practice. I was with kids. The kids, some of the kids knew they saw me on TV. So for the most part, you know, they they got a kick out of it, but they didn't care, and I didn't care, and I was able to throw that out and. I was spending some time with these kids and I was, you know, helping them be better football players, which led me to when I got home, then I was spending more time, quality time with something else and just trying to continually move forward and, and find something else. I think that, you know, being bogged down and even if it's, you know, you see all these people on, uh, and just cause I was flipping through Instagram this morning, you know, you see all, all there's a lot of people in there who are super fit 
you know, super into the workout stuff, but that's their passion. And they go to work and they go do it. And finding, finding a passion, everybody has a passion. I truly believe that. I don't watch a lot of TV. I know it sounds weird because supposedly in, in <laughs> entertainment, but you know, I don't, I don't watch a lot of TV because I sit here, you know, the reality shows I'm watching American Idol or you're watching America's Got Talent. And I'm sitting in my brain going, I'm watching these people try to achieve their goals. That's what I'm doing. And why am I watching these people? I need to be achieving my goals. I could, I could be reading. I could be working on my program deck. I have, like everybody in this world, you know, I have this crazy business where it's space travel. That, you know, it's like I'm going to be working on that outline. And just trying to find a passion project. And that's what my football coaching started from. It was my passion project. And passion projects don't make any money. And so I think that I think that, that may help some people. You know, finding a passion project, if it's my mom, my mom's in her 70s, you know, she still works just to because that's what she wants to do. But she has an art class every Wednesday night. She takes a, a watercolor painting class and she loves it. I think it's really easy to get stuck in a rut. And it's really easy to be defeated. But, you know, part of it is and I got to get over me trying to answer myself, like, why are we here? What's the re- What's the purpose a lot of successful people said, like, you have got to get over that moment of why we are here. And you have got to start setting goals and finding results. And, and this, my slogan thing I mentioned earlier about having a slogan. I want my fifth year of having slogans for my year. And my 2015 one was finish. And at the time, I went back to college and I was taking night classes. I was taking, you know, the 15 hours so I could finish. And I was taking night classes. I was grinding. But finish was my slogan I used for everything that year. No matter, whenever it got to, I said finish. No matter what I was going to start, I was going to finish it. And that was when I had my book. My book was was on the shelf for two months. And I just said, I got to finish this. I was in the end of fin- about to finish school. I got to finish this. And now my slogans have kind of evolved over the years. And they're kind of fun looking at all of them now. But you know, finding, finding goals and being able to finish them and finding a passion, I think would help some people. Honestly, I think that's great advice because you touched on a number of different things. And I think some of the important takeaways for people listening is that to find your passion doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be this big glamorous business, or you need to be this hotshot coach, or you need to be the biggest actor in Hollywood. It can be as simple as what you said, what your mom does, having a painting class every Wednesday night. And I think that's so powerful because even even something, it seems so simple, right? To take one night a week for yourself, whether you have obligations that include kids or elderly parents or any other personal situation that can arise. It sounds so simple, but it's really difficult, I think, sometimes to get bogged up in what you mentioned. You would go to work, you would go home you'd watch tv or you'd go to happy hour and you'd stay out longer than anticipate it and that's just for lack of a better phrase that that ends up being wasted time and you're not doing anything you're just kind of extending this boring day that didn't really make you any better you didn't really learn anything you were just sitting at the mortgage office and a lot of people i feel like we get up and we're like man what did i just do my eight to five or my nine to five or whatever it was there's a lot of other hours left in the day though to do some reading or to 
go for a walk, go for a hike, take that Wednesday night painting class, whatever it is. It can be a lot simpler, I think, than we make it out to be. And I think finding your passion can start there. And I really like, I'd like to elaborate on your phrases a little bit. Something I've done personally as well, uh, I, I refer to it as my word of the year, uh, although sometimes it ends up being a phrase as well. Love it. But I've been doing it far less than you. I've only done it for two years, so I, I have less to look back on. I'd love to just hear about, because I, I think for me, what I've really enjoyed about doing that is it keeps me focused at all points throughout the year. Whereas like sometimes I felt like with goal setting in particular, either I would get the goal and then I wouldn't know what to do or the goal was too difficult and I couldn't get there and I get discouraged. But for example, like one of my words is courageous. And I think it's really easy for me at any point, you know, whether it's early morning, afternoon, late at night, whatever I'm doing to say like, okay, courageous is my word. What am I doing right now? Like, how can I be more courageous and do different things like reaching out to you? I don't, I didn't know you. I, I mean, I still don't personally know you, but that was a courageous act to reach out to someone 3000 miles away and ask them if they want to be on my podcast. So I'd love to hear about what the results have been like for you personally. And if, have you been able to use that in your coaching as well? Like with your teams, I, I'd be curious to hear about that too. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of times, like you said, first of all, you said courageous being you reaching out to me and just to touch on the, the prior topic of taking that, that watercolor class on Wednesday nights. My wife is really great at this stuff. It takes a lot of cojones, if you will, to just go wander into a class. You know, it sounds easy. Like you said, it sounds easy. But I think a lot of people get anxiety about it, sure. myself included, right? It's like, oh, I don't Me too. know anybody. What is the thing? And you start making excuses. You're like, well, it's like mm-hmm. 12 bucks a night. I don't know. But just to go. Took me a lot of years to go to the movies by myself. Again, my wife does this all the time. But I think a lot of people start making excuses about it and because the anxiety levels build. And now moving to your to your courageous thing, what does courageous mean? I don't know. I don't know. And so for me, making things primal, as primal as possible that we can understand as human beings. So my first slogan, and I love your, I just wrote this down, word of the year, was finish. In 2003, I said finish. No matter what, I'm going to finish it. If I'm reading, I'm going to finish that chapter. If I'm going to work on my book, I'm going to finish what I'm working. You know, and every finish applied to just about everything. And I found myself zeroing in and not, not dropping it when I wanted to wander. And I finished more things in 2015 than I had finished before. And and to the point where in 2019, I have finished, I want to bring finish back because I felt it was so productive for me. In 2016, and this is why I call them slogans and not words. In 2016, I have written down, do the best that I can do at whatever it is that I am doing. Do the best that I can do at whatever it is that I am doing. You know, because I felt that I was on, you know, here we are with the, with the line stuff. I was on autopilot a lot of times. 
And, you know, I'm going into auditions, just like, yeah, 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 blah, 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 your line, your line, my line. And the work sucks. And 2017, I went with always be moving forward. Always be moving forward. In 2018, I have commit. And in 2019, I have above the line, which we can talk about here in a sec. But they are all, now that I'm looking at this and analyzing my slogans, they are all something to do with achieving or finishing, moving forward. And I think completing something, there is reward in that. I did that. You know, and I've done a, I've done a few. Every time I get a call for something like this, uh, you reaching out, you know, and I go back through my stuff and <laughs> I look at my wife and say, you know, I've done a lot of things. <laughs> and she always looks at me like, yes, you have You've done a lot of things. <laughs> like, you know, cause I'm always caught up in trying to, you know, growing up, I always wanted to, to please my dad. And so I never spent a whole lot of time, out, you know, the running, running kind of joke is if I landed on the moon, you know, my dad would have said, oh, your landing was a little, yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> dad, I landed on the moon for crying out loud, you know, which is what drove me. And is, you know, that's my issue. And that's a whole nother podcast. But setting a slogan for myself, because it narrows it down, like you said, is courageous. Now, dealing with my kids, I have a coach over there who was a, who's a great leader. He was, he's the athletic director now, and he, he's been a great mentor for me. We say to the kids, Hey, what, what is a word, you know, what word should you be on kickoff team or something like that? And they say courageous, right? If they were to say courageous, you are able to understand what that fully means. And it, it makes sense in your brain. It covers a lot of ground, but for kids, you know, a lot of them just hear these words. You know, I get a lot of kids these days been like, Hey coach, I was diagnosed with anxiety. What does anxiety mean? And you realize that a lot of the kids just hear this from some adult somewhere. You know, as my kid comes home and says something, it's clearly he heard somewhere. It's like, where did you hear that? What does the word mean? And I think that these slogans or these words of the year need to, if anybody that's listening is going to try this, they need to apply to them. It's a, uh, a trigger word. Sports psychologists say that you need to have a trigger word, right? So golfers line up over the ball. They say cheeseburger to themselves and they swing, you know, whatever it is, whatever word they use is their trigger word to completely be engulfed in that activity that they are doing. Right. So, you know, finding, finding words that mean something, you know, finish that may not mean something to somebody else. Always be moving forward. Some people may think of it literally. I think of it. You know, I need to be doing things that keep me going forward. So that way, if I don't have a goal necessarily, I'm always trying to achieve something. Sure. And I, I love that. And I don't want to take full credit for coming up with the phrase word of the year. That's actually Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. So, uh, well, and he, and he probably got it from somewhere. You know what I mean? It's, sure. Everything's borrowed. Sure. Yeah. But it's, it's a great concept because, I mean, just going through yours – you see that there's a lot of commonalities. It almost seems like what drives you is complacency. Like I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you right now, but everything that you just mentioned for your <laughs> for your slogan, it talks about not being in one place, right? Keep moving forward, finish, be yeah. above the line, 
all those type of things. So it probably goes back to if you're trying to identify what your slogan is or what your phrase is or what your word of the year is, however you want to look at it, think about what drives you and possibly even think about what drives you out of fear. Because I know that I had somebody asked me that before and I said, that's how I came up with courageous. I was like, I don't want to look back on my life and know that I didn't do something that I had literally every ability to do. Like there's no reason that I couldn't start this podcast or that I couldn't have started my own business. It was just fear that was holding me back for a long time. So I use courageous when I'm fearful of something to say like, no, just do it because you're going to look back. You know, when I get to look back now five years and see the things that I've done, I'm going to have the same reaction. Like, wow, I did so many things, but in the moment it doesn't feel like you're doing as much, I guess. So I I could totally relate uh, and, and I'm sure my wife would give me the same reaction that your wife gives you looking back on everything, but let's it, it does, it, it, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. We can go on for this forever, but go ahead. Next topic. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, let, well, let's talk about the above the line. Uh, it's something that you yeah. had mentioned to me as something that you're working on for your coaching philosophy specifically here moving forward. And it comes from former Ohio state football head coach, urban Meyer. He wrote a whole book, on the concept of quote unquote above the line. It's a really interesting topic and I'll break it down real quick for listeners and then I'll let you expand on it and tell us about how you're incorporating it. But basically if you draw a line on a sheet of paper above the line behavior, and that's specifically what we're talking about is behavior of an individual and a team is skillful. It's on purpose and it's intentional. And if you're below that line, you're impulsive, you're on autopilot, and you're resistant. So please tell us how you got interested in that in the first place, that specific concept, and how you're incorporating it into your coaching plans for the future. Well, I I got a head coaching job. And when I got there, I didn't anticipate a lot of things that I was going to have to deal with. And as a head coach, you know, and every, every program has its things that you need to deal with. And every program has things though, is the point. There's no program where you go into and go, Oh, this is roses, you know, (laughs) rainbows and unicorns or whatever the slogan is. And so I was just working. There was no, there was no goal. There was no goal set. I just wanted to improve the program. I wanted to make the program better than it was when I got there. And, you know, when I played, you always had a slogan on your shirt, right? And everybody has slogans on their shirt. And some of them, you just go, what? You know, some of them, you kind of go, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. I was in college. We had, there was a big team. It was written in big and then a little me. I was like, what the heck is that? Like, oh, big team, little me. And all we do is ridicule it. We just made fun of it, and it didn't make sense to me. When I got my, you know, then I was at another school, and, you know, it was family. You know, you kind of family. It's just so general. And it never made sense to me. So when I got my job, I thought, you know what, I'm not even going to have a slogan. These things, these things are hokey. And the first year, we go 2-8. and eight. This was last season. We go 2-8. and eight. And we were scattered constantly we were scattered 
and I got to do a better job. And so I went back and looked at, looked at everything. I went, what? Our guys are, everybody's, you know, when I got there, we were, everyone was rowing boats in different directions. And then we were kind of all rowing the boat somewhat in the same direction. And we were tethered together, but everyone still tried to splinter off. And my goal is to get this team working as one. So the off-season started so my first off-season. We just started nine weeks ago. I kicked weights to 6.30 a.m. and just told guys, you're here at 6.30 if you want to be here. If you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. Not a problem. And I started reading leadership books for days after the season. So, I, you know, I read Essentialism, you know, which is a great book, by the way. The Culture Code, excellent book. I have a buddy up in Santa Barbara, Ruben Zuniga, who kind of got me started on all this leadership activities. And he was he's, he was fired up that he reached out to me. He's very smart. I credit him for, for getting me into this stuff and any growth I've, I've done over the last few months. And this Above the Line book, I stumbled on, and it said, Le- Lessons in Leadership and Life from a Championship Program. And I went with Above the Line and... Basically, at 6.30 a.m. weights, what we do is for the first 10 minutes, we talk. And so the first 10 minutes, we go over this above-the-line. I started going over this above-the-line behavior. So above-the-line is intentional, on-purpose, skillful. Below-the-line is impulsive, autopilot, resistant. And what I threw on there more was blame, complain, and defend. And if you really think about it, it breaks it down to a primal level and everything that is done can be categorized by one of these words and so i started talking about with the kids things that go on in games for coaches you know when you when you yell at a kid you know it's impulsive right nine times out of ten you're blaming or complaining if i'm just at practice we're just mindlessly running plays you know it's on me we're on autopilot and that's me. I'm driving the ship. There's no intention. There's no purpose. There's certainly no skill. Right? So I'm doing is just calling plays mindlessly. And so we've gotten it to now, you know, when I would have the kids run an extra gasser, you would hear the entire group groan. Oh, you know, and it's like, that's below the line because it's complaining about it. And so trying to get the entire team above the line in what we are trying to achieve and that includes you know we've we've evolved it into mindsets you know the purpose mindset is above the line right understanding this drill makes me better this is this makes our team better bring it on whereas the two below the line mindsets are irritated mindset why are we doing this forget this drill this is dumb and then survival mindset when you sit, you go, when is this over? This sucks. You know, and so we've spent a lot of time working with the kiddos on above the line behavior. And in nine weeks, these kids have bought in. We are all going in the same direction. And now we are able, when somebody does something impulsive or on autopilot, you can just say, eh, low line, you know, and the kids have fun with it now. Coach, that was blow line. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I apologize. That's my fault. 
Let's get above the line. And everybody knows because we've worked on it and done it. And now to the wife, and my wife will say it to me, uh, that's, that's below the line. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you got to get above the line here. You want to make it as primal as possible. That's what they say in acting, right? If you're going to make a choice, it's got to be primal so that you can understand it and boom, go to it right away. And above the line, below the line, we've been studying it now and I keep going over it. Now the kids are wearing shirts. I, uh, I took something else from, from this 2014 Ohio State Buckeyes team of making nine teams. Each team has a leader. And I knew I was onto something when I asked the teams for their names. And the third team's name, they raised their hand. I said, what do you guys got? You know, I was writing it down for the scoreboard. They say ATL. And ATL, for most of us, is Atlanta. <laughs> right it's like huh and they go above the line coach it's like yes nice and so is that name and that's now on our shirts for the off season and it really narrows it down and it, and it draws a line in the sand without saying and this is what i did as a first year head coach if we do this we get that you know mm-hmm. and i can now i can just no, blow a line. Let's blow a line. Here we go. Here's the, you know, up downs or that. You're below the line. So let's just all go. Let's just all go do it. It doesn't have to be this big rigmarole. Guys, I've been telling you forever. The locker room was messy the other day. And finally, I told him a few times, please clip locker. Please clip locker. And last year, I would have got mad about it. I'm like, Why, guys, I've told you all the time, locker room's got to be clean. Take a lap, up downs, blah blah blah, and I would yell at them. Whereas this year, and which was an impulsive behavior, it was impulsive because I felt disrespected that they were defying my ass. This year, I go pick up all the trash, I put it in a box, I go take it in the locker or in the weight room, and we're having our ten minute class. And then I said, I said, hey, do me a favor, we guys count how many trash, how many pieces of trash are in there, and they count it. And they come up with 31 pieces. And, of course, I asked them to count. They were above the line. They're counting every little piece that was in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I said, 31 pieces. I said, okay, so, fellas, that was in the locker room. That's 31. Is that above the line or below the line? They all say below the line. It's like, all right, so you guys owe me 31 laps with an up-down for the trash. And they got it. They got it. I didn't have to yell. I didn't have to blame i didn't have to be impulsive i'd have to be on autopilot blowing the whistle while they were doing up downs we went out we did it with intention we did it with purpose and by the end we were doing it with you know with skill i'm going dude this is great workout fellas but yet it was a punishment too so i think that having something that you believe in is what like you mentioned Dabo sweeney earlier is very good at he is very good at that so I think that is important. And I think that this 2014 Ohio State team, you know, I, I don't do some of the other stuff in this book, the, the five R's. You know, we've talked about the event plus the response equals the outcome. I think that plays a big role with high school sports. Every There's an event. Whatever your response is, is what the outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. And if your response is above the line, that outcome is going to be positive. Mm-hmm. And so trying to get them to – trying to get them on board with that, you know, and I cherry pick some other things too. 
but that's the above the line. That's the long winded version of above the line. It's a good book. It's a great book. And I think what was, you really outlined it really well when you talked about the aspect of the accountability, this is going back to our earlier parts of our conversation and it all ties in. And so it's not a surprise that this foundation is something that can lead to success because what's most powerful for me and why it's in my notes and why it's powerful to you is because it makes everybody accountable. It makes you accountable, but it also makes the team accountable. There's not that dividing line that's so hard to get through to say like, okay, you're in power, you're my players. You have to listen to everything I do. Like it's not this general MacArthur relationship. It's and they may have been messing around with you a little bit, but they called you out. They were like, Hey coach, that was below the line. You know, that was your behavior. So it keeps you accountable in terms of your relationship with the players. And it keeps the players accountable in terms of their relationship with the coach. And that can go into the corporate world when you're talking about managers and teams and supervisors and everything. And I think it's such a, an easy concept to implement. And I actually would love if we do this one year from now, I would love to hop back on with you and hear about what your season like is coming up in 2019. Because I think that, I mean, you're already seeing some positive results, but I also think you're going to continue to see some things and it would just, it would be awesome to get an oral breakdown of what it was like, the things that you learned, the challenges that you're still having, but just knowing that you're implementing this now and look back on it a year, I think would be really cool to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's already made a huge difference in nine weeks and it makes it enjoyable. And it's also, I know when I'm looking forward to waking up the next day, I know that what I'm doing is good and positive. And, you know, I look forward to going to these morning workout classes. I really do. And And the kids are too. Some of the parents told me the kids are having fun. Like having fun. That's not what I thought I would hear. <laughs> they're, they're, they're working their butt off and they're, they're improving. And I'm working on them with setting goals. Nobody had any goals. And I have a kid, I have a freshman kid who was able to bench, you know, you know, it's a big deal when you were able to put the big plates on and do it one time. I had a freshman who did it for the first time the other day. He was pumped. We, you know, we shared at the end, Hey, you know, DeAndre got, got 135 for the first time. Everyone gave him a hand. And then, you know, two other freshmen squatted 300 pounds for the first time in their lives. And they were super proud of it. And now they've all set goals. And I told them, set a, I'm going to give you guys, you know, a few seconds now. Set your goal. And whatever it is, you don't even have to share it. But I want everyone to have a goal of something they're going to achieve. And everybody has one now. It's fascinating stuff. It, it is. It, it's amazing. And it's just so simple. And I think that's what you're realizing or you've already realized and why you implement it is because you can say, Hey, this is simple to understand. Let's do it. You're seeing results in nine weeks. Like it doesn't take nine years to figure yeah. these, these things out. So that's awesome. I'm really glad that it's been working out for you. Cause I know it's a really powerful dynamic and awesome to do, but since we're getting towards the end here, I know probably got to get yeah. back to uh, coaching and don't want to keep you up uh, too much longer here, but the show is called dynamic leaders. And I'd love to hear from your perspective about a leader who's influenced you in your own life and why they stand out to you. You know, I've, I've been thinking about this question quite a bit and I'm new to this world. You know, I'm, I'm new to the leadership. Uh, so like I said, my, my buddy Ruben, 
is the one who turned me on to it. And he turned me on to, uh, I happen to know uh, Ryan Hawk in a different capacity. And I knew when he started the leadership podcast, I didn't fully understand what it was. And now, now I've circled back with it and I'm listening to a lot of episodes. I actually heard your guys' episodes. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, and hearing a lot of these, these leadership podcasts, I thought in my brain, I thought, you know what? I don't know if I have a leader that I look up to necessarily. What I have kind of is mentors. Sure. And one of the quarterbacks that I coach, I, I've, you know, I've got, I coach close to a dozen quarterbacks, uh, like a private quarterback business. And I have a couple parents in there that are really high up on the chains at their companies. Uh, one's in a financial world sector and, Every time I'm with him, he's, I'm always just trying to absorb anything he says. He's very results driven, you know, when it comes down to anything. Yeah, but what's the, what's the answer? What's the answer? He doesn't spend a lot of time trying to find the answering the why. And I think a lot of people get caught up with that. And I say a lot of people, I'm really just talking about myself. <laughs> I, I get caught up with that a lot. It's like, why, why? And really why falls in below the line of behavior. And I'm really trying to just, it is, <laughs> it is that doesn't matter why answering the why doesn't really do much for you unless you're doing a scene and acting, you know what I mean? Like, why am I here? <laughs> you know? Sure. And so he's very purpose driven. I have another, uh, another gal, a mom of another quarterback. She's high up in a, in a, another company that does uh, malls around the world. You can see this is very, trying to finish things, trying to organize things. And she also doesn't get caught up in the why. And I realized that the people that are higher up in the corporate food chain don't necessarily stick around for the why. Like they want, they want to find the answer to what it is. Like the situation is what it is. As I watch movies with my eight year old now who is into movies and creative, you know, we sat and watched, I made him watch all the star Wars, the ones that, that were when we were kids you know, I had him watch Spaceballs the other day. He loved it. Um, but I had him watch Predator. Predator was on. And he was like, what's this, Dad? <laughs> this is Daddy's favorite movie of all time. And Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator, is his name's Dutch. And he's the ultimate leader. He's the ultimate leader. It's the greatest movie ever. It's the shortest. It's short, but the script, it goes from, you know, there's a nice setup. There's a little catalyst moment. It goes break into two. There's a nice midpoint, right? It goes into act three. There's the, the scene at the end. I mean, it's just fantastic. But him as a leader, you know, it's really kind of dialed in in that he is accountable, like you said. He's above the line. Everything he does with a purpose, everything he does with intention and skillful. And so I know it's a fictitious character. But, you know, trying to strive for something that has a purpose and has a reason and a goal is, I think, why we're here. I, I wish I had some bigger answer. You know, I, I forget what was Ryan, Ryan's answer was his dad, you know. I, mm -hmm. And the only reason I haven't listed my dad was, you know, my dad was, like I said, if I landed on the moon, well, the spaceship's crooked. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, my God, you know constantly trying to find a negative sure and i fight that with myself that's a genetic thing that i have so i don't i don't know i mean I, I like to take things from a lot of different people and i like to learn 
like most human beings. And I, I like to see them as mentors, really. I have a lot of mentors that, that I reach out to and, and I've learned that those people will help as long as I'm helping myself. Sure. Yeah. So, and I, I love that. Cause it gives you a lot of different perspectives. You don't necessarily need to have like that one ultimate leader that, you know, everything you do is based off of their leadership or what they do or how they go about things. So getting the different perspectives, I think is just as powerful. And even the fictitious person or movie character or whatever it is like for me it's batman that was my leader you know growing up and (laughs) right so i mean we could get into that at at another time i'm sure but you can learn from so many different people and i think it's important like you said to be open to that to reach out to ask don't forget how powerful that is and if you want to learn you will you'll get better and you know that's that's how we get here so I think it's yeah. I think it's awesome. I think you're doing so many great things. And like I said, we're I'm definitely gonna put on my list a year from now to reach out to you and I wanna get a recap of everything and just do a podcast on the above the line and how that all went. So definitely be following along uh, with your season when it starts up in the fall. But really appreciate you know, Randy taking some time here today to tell your story and give us some of your advice and guidance for everything. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Colin, I appreciate it. I wasn't sure when you first reached out if I was qualified to do leadership, anything, but uh, I thank you for, for throwing me on your list and I will certainly, certainly come on the show again. Thanks again to Rand for hopping on the podcast and having that great conversation. It was a lot of laughs. Also a lot of really good content and learning that you can get from this podcast, including really seriously, I think everyone here should consider that above the line framework and mentality. It's a really easy concept to incorporate to your team, to your business, your organization, your family, whatever it looks like for you. You can find more information on that, the above the line book by Urban Meyer. I'm sure you can also find snippets of it on the internet. So take some time to look through that. And it'll be really interesting to get Rand back on in a year and see how that framework and that coaching philosophy ends up working out throughout the course of the full season rather than just the first nine weeks that he's gotten an opportunity to do it right now. But it was great to have Rand on. Appreciate his time. I want to thank our sponsor, Sweat With Stods. Go to sweatwithstods.com to learn more about the different programs that she is offering. If you haven't already, press pause and please take a minute to give us a five-star rating and review and help this show grow. And thanks as always to you, the listeners, for making this possible to keep doing this week after week and for coming back to listen. I really do appreciate it. We are back next week with another guest, so stay tuned for that. And Until next time.